Uh, early on this week, uh, to help out with an illustration, I asked, I, I put on Facebook, what are some combinations of food that you or your family or maybe just you came across in your life, some combinations of food that was given to you that seemed a little odd that they would be paired together? What are some of those? And here's, I'm not kidding, I'm going to read you the comments from that post. And tell me if this is tasty. Sounds tasty. Steak and kidney pies. I don't know how you make that into a pie. I don't, I don't, know, I don't understand. No context was given, just the ingredients. Another one was spam and pasta salad. Okay, now that sounds pretty good. I don't know. That's something I come across. Uh, Hawaiians and those who have uh, Polynesian descent, that's natives and them have in common is we love spam. You go to the res, there's going to be, you walk into our market stores, the first thing you run into is a wall full of spam. I kid you not. Um, so, so that's not only the only things, not just the gas prices raising is hurting us natives, it's the, the rise in spam prices as well. <laughs> Number three on the list, barbecue mac and cheese. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've tasted that, but that sounds something like I'd try. Okay, tuna fish mac and cheese. Okay, Neil. All right, I'm, I don't know if I agree with that, but we got some in here who, who that sounds pretty tasty, okay? Now, here's one that I thought of. Has anybody gone into a store and you're, you're just wanting a bag of chips and you've come across one that's called munchies? Has anybody heard munchies? Basically, it's, it's chips that, that all kinds of different brands or, or, or types were, were put together together. And you have things like Doritos, Cheetos, pretzels. Uh, they're all put into one. And, and, and they brand it Munchies. Well, I will tell you that Matt, my gr- grandmother made her own Munchies as far back as I can remember. And I don't know why. I think she doesn't like all the space that these different bags of chips take up in her kitchen. So what she would do, she'd get out gallon Ziplocs. I kid you not, she still does it to this day. She gets out gallon Ziplocs, and she'll take whatever chip she has, and in they go, all of them. And she'll shake it up, and, and to her, that was just snacks. Hey, kids, hey, you want some snacks? And at first, we're like, ugh, I don't know what's in there. Let me see what kind of chips are in there. But she blended that in, I think, ever before Frito-Lay made some money off of it. So I wish we uh, patented patent that, and uh, we could have made some money off of that. But, you know... There's all kinds of, of things, food-wise, that we would say, you know, I wouldn't exactly pair those together, but now that I eat it, it's not that bad. You know, my wife, she likes to put salt in her uh, blue corn mush. I won't go that far. To, to, I will put sugar in my blue corn mush, but not salt. But some people do, and to us it may seem odd, but to them, hey, that's just how we ate it at the house. And so when you think about this, I want us to take that idea of just odd, different ingredients put together, but when you try it, it actually comes out pretty good. Now, I want you to imagine instead of food, let's use the Ziploc. Imagine a giant Ziploc, and you throw different people in there instead of chips, you got somebody like myself, you've got Aaron Sales, you've got, uh, you've got Russ, you've got everybody in that bag, and, and God does this. 
Is that not what the church is? If you're Navajo, raise your hand. If you are African American, raise your hand. If you are um, Pima, Salt River, raise your hand. Uh, if you are Caucasian, raise your hand. I'm going to be politically correct and say Caucasian this morning. Um, if you are Filipino, raise your hand. That is a weird mix of munchies. You know, when we look back at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the prophet Isaiah made a prophecy about one day that the body that God is going to call his own, he says, it's going to be made up of all kinds of nations. Isaiah 2, 2 and 3, here's what the prophet says. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations, listen to that, all the nations shall, shall flow to it and many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us in his ways that we from many nations will walk in his path. How is it that you have different tribes, different ethnicities under one roof? This is not the biggest church building we've ever been in, has it? It's pretty tight. How is it that all of us can be here together and have unity? How is it that we can be here and share the most important common factor in all of livelihood, that being our Lord Jesus Christ? It is only the gospel message that rises above any culture, religion, background, or creed that can bring two people, let alone nations, together to walk in one simple path. Amen? How beautiful is that? In Acts chapter 2, hundreds of years after Isaiah makes this prophecy, we read in the New Testament that on the day of Pentecost, several weeks after Christ has been crucified on the cross, he's been buried in a tomb and then resurrected to live with the Father. He says, Peter, uh, Luke records this. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. When the disciples came together and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, it says they arose and they were like tongues of fire resting on each one of their heads, and that God gave them ability to speak and preach the gospel message to every single person in their own language or tongue. What was God trying to do? Fulfill Isaiah chapter 2, 2 and 3. Later on in Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, the Bible says, So those who received his word, the gospel message preached by Peter, were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Easy part's over, guys. Now we've got to live together. Now we've got to worship together. Now we've got to walk according to God's ways together. But what is that like? I want us to 
to, I'm going to bring this up throughout the lesson this morning. Where did I get it from? Why am I passing it down? Because it's just as wrong to make a law as it is to break a law. Remember that. Where did I get it from? Why am I passing it down? Because it's just as wrong to make a law as it is to break a law. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. The book of Romans, we've got two cultures of people. If I could kind of really generalize these two groups of people. In the book of Romans, we've got two cultures of people who are being mixed together in that giant Ziploc bag. Okay? You, you read Romans 14, you should automatically, to the day you die, think of a giant Ziploc bag. That's my, that's my hope. And with the mixing of these different folks and their different cultures, we know come the mixing of different ideas, different views, different opinions about all kinds of different things, right? We understand that. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you judge to practice uh, the very same things. And so Romans chapter 2 and verse 1 is a transition from Paul who was addressing the Gentiles. Remember they worshipped the created rather than the creator. He talked to the Gentiles. Now he's transitioning to the Jews. And he's going to address the Jews about uh, their Christian walk and all the things that they're doing that is contrary to the gospel but just to be even clear about who Paul is targeting in chapter 2, let's drop down to verse 17. Romans chapter 2 and verse 17. Paul says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And so right there we know who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jews now. Because those who had converted from Judaism to Christianity, they brought a lot of baggage. That doesn't happen with, with us at all today, does it? Those who had come out of a different worldview, a different culture, to come to Christianity, they brought a lot of baggage with them. Now, what did that baggage include? They had certain ways of eating, right? They weren't allowed to eat a lot of things. They had their certain ways of dressing, they had certain ways in which they, they held special days to them, special feasts. And so you have from this bag of chips, the, uh, the Judaism Christians that are coming out to, to serve God and, and, and what's revealed in Scripture. And then you have these pagans and all the ways in which they used to live life and their worldview. And they're also coming and you have a mixing. But you see the pagans who became Christians did not have the same customs as those who came out of Judaism. And so you have a blending here, and that's a lot of struggle that you read about in your New Testament. How are they going to mix and follow what God commands, even though they're coming from different backgrounds? And that's where we find ourselves. Go to chapter 11 of Romans. Chapter 11 and verse 13. This is another transition in this book that Paul makes between communities. Romans 11, verse 13. Here Paul says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Going back to the Gentiles, to the pagans. Inasmuch then as, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. 
in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what would their, uh, their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And so he's addressing now back to the pagans, and he's going to tell them that there's a problem between these two groups that led to quarreling and fighting and condemning, and as a result, division. When we allow our differences of opinions, not commandments, then we begin to build walls that Christ sought to, be, to break down. In Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul gives this marvelous, ex, uh, he expounds about what Christ did when he died on the cross, one of the things he says is he abolished that wall that separated Jew and Gentile. He absolutely tore it down. So there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no male, there is no female, for we are all one, where church? In Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3. And so that's what was happening, right? Paul's going to teach them that neither one of them and their customs were wrong or sinful in and of itself. It was merely different. And that's what the world is going to do is they're going to place this propaganda before our eyes that wants us to seek what's different with one another first before we ever settle on what brings us together and what we share in common. Did you hear that? The world is going to divide us by getting us to focus on what makes us different before we ever get to what we share in common. I've said this, um, I, I say this all the time as an example. When I go out to speak about the res work, I'll, I'll introduce myself in Navajo, and I'll give my four clans in Navajo, and I'll explain to them, if you have two, two strangers that are Navajo, and you come across one another, they're going to ask you what your clans are. And I'm going to give my clans, why is that the first thing that strangers are going to do? At least that's what we're taught because I first want to identify what kind of relational situation we have first. I want to identify how you're related to me before we ever begin this conversation. I think there's beauty in that. I think that's a biblical message. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says to the, the, um, uh, to the Godhead, let us make man in our image. So God made them male and female, every one of them according to his likeness. And so when I start to view other people first with what we share in common, I think relationships will be a whole lot better in the church, let alone the world. And so this was the topic at hand. It was their customs, it was their traditions, it was their practices, but not the commands of God. Do not get me wrong. God is very clear on what he commands. And on those commands, we as the body of Christ are to stand firm. There is no leeway. How does somebody become a Christian? It's very clear. Conversion involves the hearing of the Word of God, the accepting of that message, the conviction of the Word into my heart, and how I respond to that. The Bible's going to say that I'm going to repent. There's a change of mind that leads to a change in action. I'm giving my life to God. I'm going to confess Jesus as my Lord and my Master among several witnesses, and then I'm buried in baptism when I'm raised up, then I am a Christian. The Bible is very clear on that. There's no leeway with that. There's no wiggle room. That's how somebody is saved. How do we worship? 
Can we worship however we want? Or is the Bible very clear on how we are to worship as New Testament Christians? Can we have all kinds of instruments up here? Can we have a woman get up here and preach a message? The Bible is very specific. That is not how God set it in motion. There is no wiggle room in that. But when God says, go therefore into all the world and make disciples, does he ever tell us how we are to go into all the world? Can I take my bike? Can I go with Dave on one of his cruises on a ship? Can I go on horseback? Can I walk? Absolutely, there's wiggle room there. There's freedom there because God did not specify how to do it. So there are certain commands in the Bible that are specific, and there are certain commands in the Bible that are generic. And in the generic commands, we have the ability to see what we can do. We have, um, we have curiosity. We have creativity that God wants to use. But we're not dealing with commands here. We're dealing in the realm of opinion. And that's what we have set before us. And so that was just to get us in the context of Romans 14. And so we're going to deal with this. There's not going to, I usually have three points laid out and they all start with the same letter. That's not today's sermon. I tried really hard. That's just not going to work. So number one, the point was just to get a context of Romans 14. Right? That's the issue we have at hand. Secondly, I want us to distinguish traditions from God versus traditions from man. And here's a point, and, and uh, we've got two Greek words, just two, okay? Bear with me. The first Greek word is the Greek word paralambano. Paralambano, P-A-R-A, for those taking notes, P-A-R-A-L-A-M-B-A-N-O. It simply means to receive from. That's all it means. This is very important. To receive from. This is the word, if you're taking notes, that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. It's very important. Here Paul says, For I, paralambano, I received from the Lord. Paul says, I received from the Lord, from Jesus Christ, from God Himself, that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he betrayed took bread. We know the rest of that passage, right? Very familiar. But he makes the point, I received this from who? From God. That's very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Listen to this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, Paul says, which I preached to you, which you also received from me. Paralambano. There's a receiving from. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, Paul says, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received, paralambano, from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, but that you would excel still more. Here's the point I'm making. There's a difference between traditions from God and traditions from man. Paul says, the tradition that I hand to you, I receive from where? From God. And so as a result, I am passing this down to you, and those Christians are receiving the same tradition from Paul. The theological phrase would be apostolic authority. God gave the apostles 
his teaching so that they can teach the same thing. They don't add to it. They don't take from. They teach the same thing. If you remember Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, one of those commandments God gives is do not add nor take away from my word, right? And that's what we see in Revelation as well. But that's the first tradition. He says, I received these teachings from God. Second word is paradosis. Paradosis, P-A-R-A-D-O-S-I-S. This word means to pass down. So one, paralambano, means to receive from. Paradosis means to pass down. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Stay with me, stay with me. Now, to pass down. Here's where we find the Bible making two categories. Number one, the passing down or traditions. That might be the word that you find in your translation, to pass down. They're traditions, again, from God. Here are traditions from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, Paul says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and you're holding firmly to the traditions just as I deliver to you. That teaching that was passed down to you, you are walking in them. You're doing them, he says. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or by letter from us, us being the apostles. And so you may see the connection now. Is Paul and the apostles received their instruction from where? From God. And as a result, they're turning around and passing it down. Our translation would be the word tradition. Where do you get your tradition from? Remember, the question is, where do I get it from? Why am I passing it down? Because it's just as wrong to make a law as it is to break a law. So we've got traditions from God, but we also have traditions from where else? From man. From man. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14. Here's the problem of the Galatian church. He says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, Paul says, among my countrymen, being more zealous for my ancestral traditions. I was more zealous for following traditions of my elders, from my, my culture, my people. And I elevated that to the highest point, Paul says. It wasn't a good thing. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so we have a separation, a distinguishing between traditions from God. And that's what Paul says over and over, for this is what I receive from God. Why do you think it's important that he makes that statement over and over and over and over He's separating this teaching to say, this isn't just what I think is good. This isn't just something that I heard that was a, you know, it was a pretty good teaching going within the, the rabbi community. No, this is something I received from God himself. And that's why I'm passing it down to you. Don't get caught up in elevating the tradition of man over the traditions of God. Does that make sense? 
Now, what are some types of traditions? Right? You hear us Navajos say all the time, traditional, traditional, traditional. But in reality is, that word tradition just means something that's passed down. So it, it really, all of us are traditional. Everybody's traditional in here. Now we just got to ask ourselves, where did I get it from? For example, in Navajo, some traditions I think are awesome. Running early in the morning. Some of you are like, yeah, right, you're crazy. Well, I like to. The teaching is you are supposed to get up before the sun gets up and you are to run towards the east. So as the sun's rising, you're greeted by the sun. And the teaching is that, that that's when the holy people are out and you yell and you scream and you say hello and you, you, ex you distinguish that, that relationship you have with them. Well, guess what I like to do? You strip all of the, the theology away from that. I still love to run in the morning. It's cooler. I'm not running when it's 115 degrees outside. I won't make it back. But I like to run in the morning. I like to get my day, my day started. I'm a morning person. To me, it gets the blood flowing. I take a nice, cold, ice-cold shower, and then I'm ready for the day. Yeah, I'm crazy. But that's what I like to do. That's a, that's a cultural tradition that I still do just because I think it's a good habit. Now, here's another one. The first laugh, right? I think Josh may have talked about this a little bit. The first laugh, right? The first laugh, and, and we didn't, I was gone last week, and he's gone this week. We weren't able to really talk as much. So if there's some overlap, maybe that's God's way of saying Evan needs to hear it. So that's why he gave him the, this topic again. So uh, I apologize if there's some overlap. We didn't really talk about what overlapped here. But the first laugh of a baby. When a baby is born and they have their first laugh, the person who makes them laugh has to cook a giant meal for everybody. So if you see a little tiny baby that hasn't laughed yet, and everybody's being real cautious around them, that's why. If I make the baby laugh, I have to cook for all of you guys. And you don't want my cooking. But that's what happens, and we celebrate the first laugh because it's beautiful. And the theology behind that, which a lot of us don't really believe in, but they'll teach you why we do that, is because the first laugh signifies the baby's choice to be here on earth. It is a, has been a spiritual being up until that point, and it has the decision. Do I want to stay here on earth, or do I want to go back? And the, the jenneh, the laugh, is what their choice, saying, yeah, I want to be here. And so you celebrate that. Well, I don't exactly hold on to all of that, but guess what? I like to get together, and I like to, I like to eat for any reason at all. So if a baby laughs, hey, I'm happy. When my nephew Bo, uh, Bo was born and he had his first laugh, guess what? I'm excited. I'm happy I have a nephew. I love him. But that's a cultural tradition. There's other traditions. In baseball, if you ever played baseball, there's a lot of traditions in there. Right? You do not step on the white lines. Right? You will get yelled at. My dad will chew you out as the coach if you step on the white line before the game ever starts. You just don't. Okay, another one is rally caps. Your team is down late in the game. You ever watch a baseball game and everybody's hat's inside out? You know, they're not doing that for fashion, right? Their thought is, okay, this is going to help us get a rally going. We're going to get caught up and we're going to find our way to win this game. But just like there's traditions in all kinds of ways in our life, there's also traditions that are religious for us. Celebrating certain holidays is a religious tradition. 
Now, I think there was uh, an extensive talk about Easter, but we can throw in Christmas. There are holidays in which some Christians choose to observe or not, whether that Christmas is actually when Jesus was, was born. I, think, uh, I, don't, I don't think it was that time of year. There were, um, there were the shepherds out in the field and all kinds of things. However, disregarding that, is it bad to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ? No, the Bible would actually uplift that. John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in verse 14, says, The Word became flesh, and He tabernacled among us. When did that happen? Well, when He was given birth, when, when Mary gave birth to Him. And so we have that. We have dress code traditions. Does everybody have to wear a suit and tie like I am today? Right? What happens if I come in and I'm just in, in jeans and a comfy shirt? Is that wrong? Well, tradition would have us sometimes hold to the, he's not that religious, I guess. He's not wearing a three-piece suit. Right? What are some other ones? Um, what about worship service order? Worship. How many of us, for the first time, before the scripture reading and the sermon, were you asked to get up and greet somebody? That doesn't normally happen. Right? What if we had one song before the opening prayer and the Lord's Supper? Ooh, I don't know. We usually get two songs. You know, what if, what if we had the offering at the end of service and not after the, the Lord's Supper? I don't know. Yeah, we're kind of pushing it with that. If we all went to many farms on the Navajo Reservation right now, I'll tell you, here's how the order of worship would go. They would do all of their singing first. About 30 minutes worth of singing. There's no opening prayer. There's nothing. You just get there and you start singing. Sometimes there's a song leader. Sometimes there isn't. But you're singing. There's no notes. There's no, start, there's no, um, there's no way to start off and check your key or your note. You, you're just singing Sometimes I may be completely off of what the book says, but hey, I'm reading the words, and that's what I'm focused on. Is that wrong or is that right? Right? After the, the singing, what, what's going to happen is you're going to take the Lord's Supper, and then the preacher gets up to ask, and, and he gets up to speak. And I've done this before where I'm like, Ben, am I doing Bible class or sermon? He goes, oh. That means yes. Ben, is this the Bible class or the sermon? Oh. Okay. I'll preach for two, I'll speak for two hours. I will speak for two hours. He says, do both of them. Okay, and I put them together. And then finally, when I'm done, we will on our way out do the offering. Now, let me ask you this. Is that wrong of them to do it that way? No. Why would some of us feel uneasy about that order? Because of our tradition. Again, it's how we were raised. If we were to go to Tonto Street and I'll be able to preach over there, guess what? I'm going to hear amens all throughout my sermon. Preach on, brother. I'll tell you what, I want to keep going. You know, I'm already done with my sermon. I'm going to keep, here's three more points for you. We go to an all-white congregation, and guess what? There's probably not many. Is that wrong or is that right on either side? No, it's tradition. It is tradition, right? Does our table here have to say in the Lord's or have an inscription here? Because ours doesn't have one. In remembrance of, do we have to have that or not? Is it wrong? Is it right? It's tradition. 
But too many times we get caught up in that tradition that we've elevated man's tradition almost to the same height or even higher than that of God's. And that was what the Roman church was dealing with. They've elevated certain traditions based on culture and background and view and opinion, and they were willing to build barriers. They were willing to disfellowship because of tradition. And that's what Paul is getting on them about. So traditions are not bad in and of themselves. Again, I'm not talking about God's commandments. Those are set in stone. But everything where God has not talked, because in many most cases, are many, most, are, are, are many religious traditions, are they beneficial for us? Yeah, there's a reason why it became a tradition, right? Is it helpful to have a song leader? Okay, show me in the Bible where we need to have a song leader. What scripture is that found? Where we have to have a song leader? There's none, none in there, is there? But why do we have it? Well, for us, that helps us accomplish in orderly fashion. But it's tradition. It's our opinion. It's what we feel. God has given us the ability to make that decision. But here's where we go, can go wrong. In the area of Christian freedom... I do not have the authority to bind my opinion on another. I do not have that authority. If I say, for the males, you came in without a three-piece suit, you're sinning. That's where I've gone wrong. Because now I'm binding something that I feel is important for me on other people. If you choose to observe or not observe a special day, that's up to you and that's fine. But when you bind that on me, now we're breaking those barriers because I've elevated a tradition. Now, again, it might be wise to do so or not, but the binding, the forcing is where we go off track. And so I cannot bind nor condemn because where I do, I create and bind a law where God has not. Again, where did I get it from? Why am I passing it down? Because it's just as wrong to make a law as it is to break a law. And so that's where we find ourselves in Romans chapter 14. Turn there for me, please, and we will close up shop this morning. Romans chapter 14. So what's the, what's the, the solution to this problem? For people who are setting up barriers, saying you're sinning for this and that, in an area that's my opinion, here's where Paul gets at. Now here's a word that I would like for you to highlight if you're a Bible marker. Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, the word is welcome or accept. Welcome or accept. He says, Romans 14, 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome or accept him. But not to quarrel over what? Opinions. What I think is best. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let no one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has what? Welcome or accepted him. You get the idea here? Drop down to 14, uh, 15, 7. Chapter 15 and verse 7. Therefore, Paul says, welcome or accept one another. Why? as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's why he says in Romans 16, 16, 
This is a familiar verse to us, but it's the same word. Greet or accept or welcome one another with a holy kiss. So some of us thought that was just about the introduction. No, there's more beyond that. It's the idea that I accept you. You know, if you come in, you got holes in your shirt and, and, and maybe you didn't shave, I'm going to hug you. That's my way of showing you, yes. Are you baptized for the remission of your sins? Yes. Come on in, brother. I'm welcoming. I'm, I'm, I, I'm accepting you because verse 17, here's what Paul says in the last chapter. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create, what's that word? Obstacles. Watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. We are in the business of building up and not tearing down. If God has accepted a brother or sister despite some of their opinions, so should I. How am I going to reject somebody that Christ chooses to accept? That's a message for us today. How am I going to reject somebody into fellowship when God has accepted them? doesn't matter how they look, what they view, whether or not they celebrate a certain day, whether they have tattoos or not, whether they, whatever that area of opinion is, I'm going to accept them just as God has accepted them. Can you imagine telling God that you chose not to fellowship with a brother or sister even though he chose to welcome him or her into his body? That's a tough, tough, tough scene. And so where did I get it from? Why am I passing it down? Because it's just as wrong to make a law as it is to break a law. Here's one tradition as we close that I heard. I heard that uh, there was a grandma or a mother that was making a roast for her family. Some of you, this may be familiar. But as the younger child is watching, the mom or the grandma, I forget what it is, we'll say the mom for the sake of this time. As the young child's watching the mom prepare the meal, he sees the mom cut off the ends of the roast. And the child asks, Mom, why do you do that? And her mother says, well, your grandmother did it this way. Well, one Christmas or one, uh, one, one holiday comes about and they're all sitting together and the mom says, Mom, why did you, why did you cut off the ends of that roast? Guess what the grandma says? I did it because we had, because our pan wasn't big enough. All the while, the tradition being passed down was, our family, we cut off the ends. That's just what we do. And the grandma says, I did that because we didn't have a big enough pan. From what I hear, that's the best part of the, of the roast. I don't know. But how many things do we do today that, ah, Janet, ah, we just do it this way. How many things do we do today just because we were taught it? We never asked, where is this coming from? Or we did ask, why do we pass it down? Again, some, tr- tr- some traditions are beneficial. Do you think it's beneficial to us to tell our children they should avoid smoking and drinking and parties? Absolutely, right? There are wis- there's wisdom in a lot of these traditions. But to those who are just, where the areas are just opinions, we need to be careful of binding those or looking down or condemning or forcing other folks to do so. Does that make sense? 
you see this was a heavy doctrinal topic, so I tried to, to liven it up a little bit, and hopefully it made sense. So when you go out and you choose to do whatever kind of tradition, uh, one of the things that we used to do is uh, we'd get in trouble by my grandma because my brother and I would wear our hats backwards. Well, she would tell us, you don't wear your hat backwards. And we would say, why, Grandma? She said, well, because then you're going to start thinking backwards. She would say that to us. And I'm like, what do you mean think backwards? And you know how you ask more questions and they get more angry, you know? Just, just do it, you know? But, well, but why? But why? And she says, you're not going to be able to think right. Lo and behold, we were holding our grade checks because it was report card day. I had all A's. So I'm not able to think right, huh, Grandma? Guess what I got? A slap in the head, you know? So there are some traditions where you ought, yeah, it's wise to just do it. Younger, younger ones. But I, make, I say all of that to, to remember, where did I get it from? Why am I passing it down? Because it's just as wrong to make a law as it is to break a law. Amen? All right. If there's anybody that has not been grafted into the body of Christ, somebody who's, who's ready to hear um, what the gospel means for them so that they can respond to it. The Bible says, again, you hear the gospel message and that hearing leads to faith. Romans 10, 17. That faith then begins to make you move. It causes you to, to respond and then you repent. You say, God, I'm done living my way. I've lived it my way this whole time and look where I am. Why don't I give you a shot at it? And you give God that opportunity and it says that you confess, I'm ready to make Jesus my king. Not just that I acknowledge him as, my Lord, as uh, the Son of God. No, even the demons acknowledge that. The confession is, I'm ready to make you Lord, Master of my life. And then somebody takes you, anybody, and they put you in water, but they don't hold you underwater. I promise, we will bring you back up. We will bring you back up, and when you come up, you will just look wet. You'll look the same to our eyes, but in God's eyes, your sins are as white as snow. The Bible says God in His infinite wisdom chooses not to remember them anymore. Think about that. All the wrong you've caused. All of the many things you've done to hurt people. All the ways in which you regret as you look back upon your life. All of those things God will forgive you if you just give Him the chance. He's a forgiving God. He wants to forgive, but you need the blood of Christ. And that is your, your, your being grafted into the body so you can live for Him. And that conviction leads to telling other people and living and being more like Jesus Christ each day. If you need that, please come as we stand and we sing our invitation song.